0: Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, let me read this for us. This is what God's word says. And he, that is Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years have I served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we ask now that you would reveal your glory as you have revealed it in your word. Help us to see the wonder of who you are, as you have revealed yourself to us as the Father in heaven. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here lost, would you find them, search them out by your Spirit, and bring them to you into your presence, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to what is probably the most famous parable of all time. What is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. About this rebellious son who went astray and wrecked his life until he eventually returned home to his father. But actually if you look at verse 11 how this whole thing begins. This parable is about two sons that the father has. The younger son who ran away. And the older son who stayed home. And if anything, contrary to popular belief, this parable is mainly about the older brother. Jesus told this parable primarily to dissect the elder son's heart and attitude. However, it's not without good reason that the narrative portion of the younger son has received so much attention because his story is such a beautiful picture of the gospel in and of itself. You know, this whole parable is so rich that many have called it a parable inside a parable, or or the gospel within the gospel, because so many gospel truths are interwoven and revealed through this parable, Jesus tells of a father and his two sons. And so I think it's right for us to focus our attention on the younger brother today, And Lord Wilning will examine the older brother next week. Because in seeing the course of this younger prodigal son, we really behold one of the most illustrative explanations of the gospel. Here we have a surgical exposition of the folly of sin and rebellion. The, The awakening of repentance and then the revelation of the overflowing grace of God, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, as 2 Corinthians 1.3 says. Well, the parable begins as we are introduced first to this younger son who one day demands his share of property coming to him from his father, verse 12. Now, the share of property was the father's estate, his belongings. In other words, this young man was demanding his portion of inheritance right now. Now, what this implied was nothing short of appalling because the estate that he was set to inherit later upon his father's death, he couldn't wait for it. And so by demanding it now, he was essentially telling his father, let's consider you dead already. Give me my share as though you were as good as dead. Now, what a disgraceful son to begin with. He longed to take what belonged to his father and happily so at the cost of taking his father's life in his heart. But upon this request, we see at the end of verse 12 that the father obliges and gives to his son his portion of the estate. And immediately we are told in verse 13 then not many days later, within a matter of a few days, and so you can tell he's been scheming this. He's been longing for this for a long time. He couldn't wait for this day. The son, within a matter of a few days, liquidates the entire lot of his portion of inheritance. And he gathers everything, all that wealth, all that money, and leaves the home. But not to go to some nearby city, to perhaps invest in a new home, a new business or something. But what he does is he runs as far away as he can from his father. It says to a far country he went, where he could live, so away from the father's voice and authority and supervision, a far country where he can live however he wants no longer in his father's presence, no longer under his household authority. And now with full control over his portion of the father's belongings, he goes to live the life that he dreamed of, which is to spend it all in unrestrained pursuit of his every desire. No more of his father to tell him what he can or can't do. By leaving the house, this man has severed his bond with his father Cut the chains and is now free to indulge in a life of following his own will. And so it says in verse 13 that he squandered his property, he squandered his liquidated assets in reckless living. You see, it was a life, the life that he had been dreaming of for so many years, it was a life of excessive, limitless spending. It was a prodigal life. You see, this is what the word prodigal means. I think sometimes we assume that the word prodigal means lost or rebellious because we associate it with the prodigal son who was lost and rebellious. But the word prodigal actually means extravagantly wasteful. Spending everything just recklessly, without limit or control, just blowing everything. And that's what the son was like in his new life, away from his father. He spent everything he had without any limits to gratify every one of his carnal desires. That's the life he wanted. Now already here, we see such a revealing portrait of the heart of man, fallen in sin. Because notice how this prodigal son is not just lost, but he is willfully lost. He wants to leave his father. He yearns to live his own life apart from him. And this desire for a life outside of his father is rooted in this deep-seated enmity against him. He couldn't wait for his father to die. He wanted him out of the picture so he could live according to his own ways. This is why Romans 8, 7 says that sinners by nature are hostile to god refuses to submit to him it's not an exaggeration it's accurate sinners by nature are rebels against god this is how darkened and corrupt our hearts are just like the sun we demand to take what is what is rightfully god's what rightfully belongs to him namely our lives our souls our existence as we were created to delight in his presence and revel in his glory. But as sinners, we have demanded to take the life that God has given to us, to use it, to waste it, to spend it, to squander it prodigally on living for ourselves. This is the offensiveness of sin, that in our hearts we've determined to be our own God and master so as to tell God, why don't you go die? But he will not die. He is the eternal God of life. And so what have we done? We've run to a far country away from him in pursuit of our own will. 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle wrote this, In speaking of this passage, he said, here we see a man following the natural bent of his own heart. We have in these words a faithful portrait of the mind with which we are all born. This is our likeness. We are all naturally proud and self-willed. We have no pleasure in fellowship with God. We long to depart and go afar away from Him. We spend our time and strength and faculties and affections on things that cannot profit. Like sheep, we all naturally have gone astray and turned to His own way. Isaiah 53 6. You see, what we see in this younger son is a spiritual x ray that reveals how sin has so corrupted man's very nature and thinking such that he's blind to true glory and happiness his judgment is utterly impaired because he sees fellowship with god being in his presence as repulsive something he must run from in order to find true joy but it's self-destructive i mean look this prodigal son he left his father He followed headlong after his own will. He got everything he asked for. But how did it turn out for him? Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. This son, he spent all that he had taken from his father, on the things that he believed would bring him maximum happiness and fulfillment. But it was only spent with nothing in return to show for it. It was all a waste because in the end he was left empty. He was in need. He felt lack. The time came when the illusion of his happy prodigal life faded away as famine struck the land. How sad that this son thought that the world out there away from his father was better, was freer. He had so believed with all his heart that the far country was the real promised land, calling out to him, come, come, leave your father. Here you can indulge in yourself. Here you can do as you please. Here in this far country, Unlimited joy awaits you. You can follow your own heart. But once he got there, the mirage soon dissipated, and he was confronted with the bitter reality that this far country was not the promised land, but was in fact the parched desert of wilderness and famine, which left him hungry, thirsty bankrupt all the joys that he had experienced there turned out to be only temporary fleeting pleasures and having spent it all on these prodigal pursuits he was left with nothing now when this young man was confronted with this harsh reality of the far country what did he first do what was his first instinctive response he attempted to save himself He sought to figure out a way to meet his own need. And so, verse 15, he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Literally, he joined himself to one of the citizens. He attached himself. He clung to someone there in hope, in desperation. But what did that man do for him? He sent him into his fields. To feed pigs, to tend to these unclean animals. In verse 16, he was longing to be fed with even the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Look at how low he fell. What a sad irony. Ran away from home, seeking freedom, only to become a servant of pigs. Worse than them, actually because he was a slave who received nothing, not even the pig's food. His state was even worse than the unclean animals who were better taken care of than this man. Friends, this is the lie of sin. It deceives us with false promises. Sin makes us delusional. It deludes us in believing that being under the Father's loving authority in His presence is oppressive. And that we need to be unshackled from Him. And when we do, and we believe that, when we act on it, yes, we are unshackled from the Father, but only to be led into the pig pen and be shackled there to the feeding trough to make us a servant of swine. Sin is a cruel master. It has no qualms about lying to us through its teeth to steal us away from what is truly home and rob us of true joy and well-being. Look at how aimless and meaningless this man's life had become. You know, every lost soul is empty inside. That's a fact. Unhappy unsatisfied tirelessly searching for lasting joy and fulfillment but never able to find it on a never-ending quest for meaning and purpose but remains as lost as ever who am i where am i what is this world what is this country i'm in what is this life why am i here why do i exist what is my purpose is it just to feed pigs for a living and that's it just work this job, maybe find another job, get some hobbies, try some romance and retire and do all that and then hit the dust. And that's it? That's all there is to life? Is this you this morning? Are you lost and empty? Perhaps others might see your life on the surface as lacking nothing, but you know deep within, your soul is lost. It's restless. You are restless. You may have plenty of accomplishments, hobbies, and pleasures to distract yourself with, but in the end, they are all but distractions. Meanwhile, your soul lacks peace and rest and solace. Why? Because you are estranged from your father in heaven. You have listened to your own heart and believed the lies of sin. And you have gone astray following your own will. And it hasn't satisfied. Friend, have you come to a point in your life where you realize you are lost? I mean, you've been lost, but do you know it today? Do you feel your lostness? Maybe something has happened in recent days or years that has made you especially feel the harshness of life in this fallen world. Suffering, pain, loneliness, fear, anxiety. Have you come this morning feeling destitute and empty? If so, have you considered that God is the one who mercifully sends the severe famines into our lives, into the far country where we've gone to wake us up and call us home. Because that's exactly what happened for this prodigal son. Verse 17, for when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, why? His mind was rudely awakened as he looked around and he saw himself in the pig pen. And he said to himself, what have I done? Look at me. How did I get myself here? And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Here I am, begging for the food of pigs, but no one will give me anything. But I remember now, here as I sit in this pig pen starving, now I remember that even those who are my father's employees, they are so well fed and happy and satisfied. They have more than enough. Why? Did I ever leave him? What was I thinking? You see, it it took this famine and hitting rock bottom for this prodigal son to wake up from the stupor of sin and to be awakened from his impaired judgment and remember with clarity the true character of his father and the goodness of his presence. It often takes the bitterness of sin to realize and to taste the sweetness of Christ. And so having come to his senses, the son said to himself, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And here we see in his state of humiliation and lowliness, the genuineness of true repentance in his heart this man makes no excuses but he confesses his sin and guilt without any condition or reservation because he truly knows himself to be filthy and shame and misery he believes it to be true he's a wretch he's a fool he's a rebel you see true repentance is not just offering a half-hearted words of remorse because you don't want to be punished oh god please don't send me to hell okay i'll say whatever you want me to say forgive me of my sins nor is it just repeating some mantra oh some preacher said here's a sinner's prayer repeat after me and i repeated after him and there it goes I, i i i said the incantation no true repentance is a conviction of sin and righteousness in the heart it is a humble, a humiliating realization and admission that you are a sinner and you have ruined yourself following the course of your own will. And as such, you know that you are entitled to nothing. You, you see your sin as so shameful that you do not deserve to be received and welcomed. God doesn't owe you mercy and forgiveness. And so it is true what this prodigal son plans to say. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Of course he's not worthy. I'm not even worthy to be called your, your hired servant, but would you at least receive me as one of those? This man has been awakened to see his true lost condition, just how alienated and estranged from his father he had made himself. But most importantly, though way down by guilt although knowing that he had sinned grievously and heinously against his father in his desperation the only glimmer of hope he sees is to return to the one against whom he had sinned why because in his darkest hour The only light he sees and remembers is that his father is good. Then, if there's any inkling of hope that someone in this world might help him, might receive him, even in his state as a filthy wretch, it is his father. That's the only one whose character he can think to trust in the hour of peril. That is repentance. Not only confessing and turning away from sin, but turning to God. Entrusting yourself into His hands, seeking His mercy, asking Him to receive you, even undeservedly. And so, This lost son, he gets up, he climbs out of the pig pen, and he heads back home with the hope that his father will receive him. Now, up to this point, I think we can reasonably understand the entire sequence of events and actions. Now, obviously, the son had committed an unspeakable act of rebellion, and all all that happened to him, well-deserved, just the natural consequence of his actions. And those surprised by squandering it all, he'd be left empty and ruined. But what is the father's heart and sentiment through it all? How does he react when he sees his prodigal son for the first time in who knows how long? I mean, it it would not be unreasonable for him to be angry or to be ashamed of such a wretched son. To be appalled and taken aback by the stench, the odor. To be outraged. To hear that his entire portion of the estate had been spent on prostitutes and all sorts of debauchery. And so what is the father's immediate reaction as his son comes to him? Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Now, this is just too weak in English. It literally is to say that his inward organs were moved. His heart His gut recoiled within him when he saw his son from afar. And when he saw him, still a long ways off, he ran to him. The father ran to his son. Do you realize how shocking this would have been for the people to hear Jesus say? This is a ludicrous picture. No father of that ancient Near East culture would do such a thing. They don't run like that. It was undignified. He's supposed to stand tall, calm, stoic like this, stroking his beard. Reverential. It was disgraceful and shameful for an elderly man to be seen running, let alone towards the notorious son who brought unspeakable shame upon his family. And not only did he run to him, but he embraced him. Literally, he threw himself upon his neck, it says, and he kissed him. Not a word of disappointment, not a word of lecturing, not a word of rebuke, but only the kiss of pure joy and love. Listen, this whole picture is very bizarre. Because you you bowed down to your father, you obeyed your father, you feared your father. But here was this father laying aside all decorum to run toward his son. Why? Because he was overwhelmed with uncontainable love and joy that his lost son had returned home. And his love for his child had never wavered through that whole time of his son's wicked rebellion. In fact, it says that the father saw the son while he was still a long way off. How did, he, how did he know? How did he see his son from afar? Because this suggests to us that this entire time, ever since the son left the home, his father was watching and waiting outside every single day. For his son to come back home and return to him. This is God's love for lost sinners, undeserved and unexplainable. Before the son can utter the words he had re- rehearsed, the father overwhelms him with love unconditional. The prodigal son can hardly believe it and eventually he makes his declaration in verse 21 and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But immediately the father interjects and says to his servants. Isn't it interesting that the son had planned to say even the bit about just treat me as one of your hired servants, but he doesn't even get there. The father interjects and he speaks to the actual servants. No, 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 Let me tell my servants over there. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? Because for this, my son, you are my son. This, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What an amazing picture of God's grace that when a sinner comes to Him in repentance and faith, God does not receive Him as only a hired hand, merely permits Him to enter His presence on the condition that they can provide good service to Him with their labors. No, God receives sinners and exalts them and restores them to the status of His own child. What the full writes and privileges of sonship, such that the servants are ordered to clothe him and prepare the greatest feast for him who is the master's rightful child. And what a strange thing that by human reasoning, we would think that this whole reconciliation and this reunion should be accompanied by the prodigal son Bearing all the gifts to his father, whom he had grievously offended and dishonored, bringing to him a peace offering, saying, I'm sorry. But instead, what do we see here? It is the father who bestows and lavishes his richest gifts upon this lost child who has returned empty handed with nothing to show for himself, but just bringing his unworthy self. That is the gospel. That God calls sinners to return to him, rebellious, filthy, unworthy they may be, but he calls them to come and trust in his infinite grace and love, which he has revealed through Jesus Christ, his son. Because in order to save lost, prodigal sons like you and me, God sent his own son to take the place of rebellious sinners, to live the life of perfect, sinless obedience that we, we refused to live, that we ran away from living, and to die the death of guilty sinners, which we deserve to die. And on the cross, Jesus Christ bore the eternal punishment of the wrath of God on behalf of sinners He came to save. You see, God is the one who provided the peace offering by giving up his son to be slaughtered on the cross so that naked, shameful sinners like us might be covered in the gifts of his clothing. And inasmuch as this father in the parable ran to the son, even at the cost of bearing disgrace and reproach upon himself, so Christ humbled himself, humiliated himself by covering up his glory with the garments of human flesh. And taking on true human nature, he came down from heaven in pursuit of sinners to run to them. But it's not just that God ran to meet sinners halfway, but he entered this world through his son. God himself stepped into the pig pen of this fallen world, this unclean world that he might take on their uncleanness and that they might be clothed with the best and finest robe of his spotless righteousness. This is the good news, that God did it all, that he himself took on the weight of our sin and guilt, that Christ did everything for sinners, so that what? All that sinners need to do just come just return to him friend if your soul is still lost in the far country God is calling you to come home just as you are come in your rags you don't need to clean yourself up first bring your foul odor He will cleanse and clothe you when you come to Him. You don't need to come bearing gifts. You just need to trust and receive His gift of grace and all that Christ has done for you. Bring your honest, prodigal self, confess your rebellion, and He will restore and exalt you as His child. Beloved, if you're still living amongst the swine and your soul is famished, Get up, leave the pig pen, and come home to your father. Receive by faith the wonder of his undeserved, unwarranted, unrestrained, prodigal love for sinners. You see, what this parable shows most of all is that God is the ultimate prodigal. In spending, pouring out every drop of his infinite goodness and love for the unworthy. Wasting it upon them, as it were. He withholds nothing. His love is not just generous, but it is gloriously excessive. And it pleases him to spend it all on those whom he has made his children. Christian. Do you believe this of God? That you are not only accepted by God, but that you are now in Christ, adored by God. Not on the basis of what you've done, or who you are, or what you will do, but on the basis of Christ and what He has done for you in love because in Christ you have been made God's son and daughter with whom he is well pleased. And there is nothing you can do to change that. How hard it is for us to believe and embrace by faith our true status as sons and daughters of God. You know, we'll talk about this more next week as we look at the older brother, but can I just say for now and ask, How many of you live each day as a Christian on a daily basis saying to God, Lord, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please just see me as your servant because I still have a lot of issues. I still have a lot of shame. I still have a lot of problems I need to figure out. And you think that you're being holy by thinking and praying like this. But do you know how much this grieves your father? Who has already adopted you as his child. Can you imagine if This prodigal son, after having returned home and been received by his father with all joys and tears and celebration and the kisses of his delight. Can you imagine if this son lived all the rest of his days, yes, in the father's presence, but saying to him, Please don't call me son, I'm still not worthy. I'm not worthy to sit at the dinner table with you please don't even call me by my name just call me servant worker what pain that would bring to the father what sorrow would fill his heart and with tears of grief he would ask you son do you not trust me still Do you not believe my love for you and what I have demonstrated to the full on the cross? Christian, understand this. The greatest dishonor you can do to God is to resist embracing His outpouring of love to you. This parable is not just for the non-Christian to understand something about God's love for sinners, but it's also written for you that in it you might behold the glory of your Father's love towards you, communicated through Christ and sealed by His Spirit. Beloved, do not be afraid. Abide in His love. Lower your guard and receive his delight and affections for you, his precious time. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this parable uttered by your Son whom you have sent for us that through his words and through him, his person and his work, we might behold the glory of your eternal love. Father, we confess the weakness of our faith in comprehending it and in receiving it but we ask now that as the gospel has been shown to us so vividly that you would strengthen our frail hearts by it. And as we now prepare to take the Lord's Supper, that you would remind us through it so graphically and so tangibly of the great love you have for weak, hungry, famished sinners and that we would see through this the gesture of your unchanging love and tenderness and delight in feeding your children. Help us to receive it by faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.